In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today's passage from the Gospel of St. John that we read today is linked with the miracle of the feeding of the five loaves and two fish, the feeding of the multitude with with such a small amount of food. Uh, that we read last week. So it's uh, nice that we're able to continue this story. After the miracle, just to re- uh, summarize, the people wanted to make him king. So they went. Uh, so he went to a place by himself to pray. Meanwhile, the disciples got into the boat to travel to a place called Tiberias in Capernaum. They traveled from Tiberias to Capernaum. It's about six and a half miles uh, in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus afterwards came walking on the stormy sea on the water. Uh, towards them and they safely immediately arrived as we know the story they immediately arrived at Capernaum so these are some amazing miracles and when we look at the miracles in the church we we know that the purpose of miracles are not just to show after all Christ rode in boats many times but he only that we know of walked on water once so he didn't go around walking on water but uh, in this case he did so for a reason and as most miracles uh, the purpose of the miracles is to show and to reveal in our senses, you know, because sometimes we're weak and we need to see God with our senses to be able to touch him, see him and hear him. And we're able to see these miracles and not just stay within the, the realm of the senses, but to be uplifted to a, a higher state, to know the Father who is in heaven and uh, to understand the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just for show or anything like that, but it has a greater depth and a greater purpose. Uh, Miracles occur every day, but because they occur constantly, we may not give them the honor that they deserve. But uh, the same God who provides food every day to us, it's like a small miracle that we eat. And Christians acknowledge this when we pray before we eat. Uh, That is uh, God's hand working to provide for us. But in this case, he gave them uh, an amazing miracle in an instant. He gave them uh, food from five loaves and two fish. He multiplied the food uh, just like he multiplies it in nature every day. But in this case, he did so quickly. Um, One dead man raised from the dead causes amazement. But uh, no one wonders at the birth every day of those who came into being from non-existence. The same God who transfers uh, the rain from the roots of the vine and makes the grapes are used for wine. So also at the wedding of Cana, he did so in an instant. These miracles, of course, show uh, the greater truth, which is, of course, that God is able to do these things and he does so every day. And so we ought to stop and wonder at at these everyday miracles that we encounter, uh, such as what we have uh, on the altar every Sunday, which is the converting of wine and bread into his holy body and blood. So when the people couldn't find him in Tiberias, they went towards Capernaum and found him there. Um, And they asked him, Lord, when did you get here? We were looking for you. They noticed that it was strange that he got there so quickly. So they noticed the miracle. Jesus then sharply rebukes the people. uh, And this is what we read today. He rebukes the people saying that they did not look for him because of the signs, but because they ate and were filled. He tells them not to labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Similarly, he does so in other parts of the Gospels. Uh, For example, when he says in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And again, Matthew chapter 6, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Oftentimes we focus on the gifts that God provides more than God himself, more than the giver of the gifts. We seek God for the sake of the flesh and not for his own sake. 
we ask God for temporary benefits and not the eternal ones. Um, a reminder, it's it's a reminder for us to always look in our hearts to see what where our affections are truly placed. Is it just placed on the things that are around us or is it truly placed on God? Is our intentions, are our intentions pure and in that we truly love God or do we just love the gifts that he gives us? One way to test that is to look at our prayers. Um, our prayers should not only be focused on requests and there's nothing wrong with that, of course, but also on thanksgiving and praise and spiritual benefit. We pray for um, what we pray for is a measure of where our affections and what we really care about. Uh, when reading the Desert Fathers, we always find people going to the Desert Fathers and they ask and they have this famous saying saying, Father, tell us a word. Not Father, give us bread or Father, give us water or dates or whatever they had in the desert, but Father, give us a word. They sought the spiritual, the spiritual benefit more than anything else. And we're reminded of the interesting dialogue between God and Satan in the book of Job, where Satan told Job, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and have blessed his work of his hands and his possessions and have that have increased in the land? But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. God, of course, knew the true intentions of Job. He knew what was inside of Job. So he allowed Satan to do these things. And as we know, as the story continues, that Job continued to be faithful. God knows that Job's affections were on God himself and not on the possessions that God gave him. But here in today's story, the people desired the food that God gave more than God himself. Their focus of attention was that Christ would fill their belly. He'd be this king and he'd provide all this material wealth to them and kick out the Romans and that their, their belly would always be full and not the importance of that beautiful miracle that they just witnessed, both uh, the walking on the water, which they realized was uh, weird that he was in Capernaum so quickly, and also the feeding of the five loaves and two fish. They should have recognized that he's the, the one who created the fish and the bread out of nothing He's the same person who created the universe and has come to save us, putting the past behind us and our sins far from us and allowing us to look to a bright new future, which would last to eternity. This is what should have been sparked in their thoughts and their understanding. But instead, they were very carnal, so they only focused on the food itself. And it's interesting that the desire for food is the greatest of all human desires. You may think other desires uh, are difficult, but really food is the greatest of all desires. From the moment we're born, we cry for it until the moment we die, we're still asking for it. No other desire commands such a force in our, in our life than the desire for food. Not wealth, nor desire towards the opposite gender, nor desire for praise. All of these things go away if one is hungry. And you, you can test that out when someone is truly hungry, maybe hasn't eaten for a couple of days, he doesn't care about any of these other sins. What he cares about, first and foremost, is food. Um, this desire commands our thinking. It demands our emotions, our speech, our conduct. We become a different person when we're hungry. Um, we became, you know, the phrase hangry, you know, when we're angry and hungry at the same time. <clears throat> so, you know, that's why the church focuses uh, a lot during the fast, right? That, that's the thing that we tackle head on is this desire for food. Fasting is one of the earliest commandments known to mankind. In Genesis chapter 2, he, uh, God commands that uh, we do not eat from the tree. He says, a tree may be good for food and pleasant to the eyes. 
in Genesis chapter 3, and yet one must turn away from it. So by abstaining from food, man rises above the level of the body and above matter, and this is the wisdom behind fasting. And why am I talking about fasting a little bit today is because, of course, the Jonah's fast is starting this week. Uh, we'll send you a reminder through email and text. Um, <clears throat> and also, it's a prelude to, of course, the Lent fast. This was not a new spiritual prin principle introduced in the New Testament, but it dates back to Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, it was commanded as well. We see all the prophets of old fasting. We see David who said, I humbled myself with fasting. And I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, and my knees are weak through fasting. King David fasted, Daniel the prophet fasted, the prophet Ezekiel fasted, Nehemiah fasted when he saw that the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed, and he um, got up right away and fasted. And the prophetess Anna fasted, as we see in Luke, all of the apostles fasted. Um, we, we read in the book of Acts and the epistles, they all fasted in set times. And they all fasted too in communing in communities as well. So we fast not just on our own, which we do, of course, if we have a certain problem in our life, we can fast. But we also follow the example of our biblical fathers and mothers who fasted in a community. We see that the time of Esther, people fasted in a community. At the time of Nineveh, and also the um, that we're going to celebrate and, and partake of as well in the, in the next week. Uh, Nehemiah and Ezra fasted in the time of Joel. Uh, the apostles fasted um, in the, as they ministered to the Lord. They fasted and the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. So they all fasted together as a community and not just uh, as our own. So communal fasting is acceptable and it's very biblical and what our church has been doing since the very beginning, since the apostles themselves. When we fast together as a community, it's proof of oneness of soul in worship and approaching God, especially if the purpose of the fast is a matter that can, it, it's, we're fasting for the purpose that um, there is a matter that concerns the whole community. And if the whole community partakes in the fast, as they do in prayer in one soul, God tends to kind of act quickly on this, on this thing when we're all in uh, one, one soul, one spirit fasting together in oneness of spirit. So that's why the church focuses on this in many fasts. And blessed are you because you belong in a church that really likes fasting, right? We fast more than probably most churches. And it's all but disappeared in a lot of the Christian, uh, other Christian traditions. But in, in our church, we hold fast to it. Um, this was the command that the desire not have it command over us. So we want to have command over this desire and not have this desire to have command over us. And that's what fasting does. And as a reminder, again, Jonah's fast was coming up where we commemorate the fasting of repentance that the Ninevites do. It's a powerful desire that we tackle head on and God willing, we'll be over, able to overcome this. And with that, we'll be able to overcome every other desire that we encounter. But there's a different type of fasting too. Christ gives us a better example than the multitude. He hungered and thirsted for not just food, but our salvation. For righteousness and for justice. That's what God fasted and as, uh, as Christ did. God's love towards us is very powerful, indescribable, ineffable, and impossible to put into words. But so that we can relate to it, as much as possible, God's offers, God offers us like these visible tokens. Of course, the biggest visible token that we have of God's love is the cross when we look at that. But also, he likens his love for us to hunger. You know, 
when you're really hungry, you can see how much you want food, right? If you've really, really been hungry. And he likens it to our, the desire, his desire for our salvation. He's hungry. He's thirsty for our salvation. Uh, even though, of course, he fed thousands and was victorious in fasting, uh, most importantly, he fasted uh, for our righteousness. For example, in the parable of the fig tree, God sought to eat of the fruit of the tree. And when he was hungry and didn't bear fruits, he cursed the tree. It was a symbol, of course, of the tr spiritual fruits that he seeks from each one of us. On the cross, he said, I thirst. When the Samaritan woman, uh, when he approached the Samaritan woman, he said, give me a drink. In all of these cases, it wasn't the worldly or carnal food that he hungered for, but the, rather the spiritual food, the salvation of our souls and the good works of the believers. This is what he's hungry for. And he makes this clear to the disciples when he says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Our Lord, during his ministry, spiritually fasted often. While eating with the apostles, he was betrayed. When our Lord came to the apostles in the Garden of Gethsemane, he found them sleeping. When he was arrested, instead of loyalty, he found them fleeing away from him. When he was being judged, instead of steadfastness, he was denied. When crucified, instead of patience and faith, they scattered. All the apostles scattered. And when he returns, he asks, will I truly find faith? Likewise, we sometimes, unfortunately, impose a fast on our Lord Jesus Christ when we do not live up to our Christian lifestyle. Christ hungers for our salvation, who desires, as in First uh, Timothy it says, he desires, he hungers that all men may be saved and comes to the knowledge of truth. This is God's hunger, that we should, we should also be hungry for the same thing, of course, the salvation of all of those who are around us. Some of us are not hungry for that, but that, we, that is something we should hunger for. A desire that the kingdom of God comes in all of its glory to all those in our sphere of life. And we're asked to also hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Bible is clear that we should seek the Savior of the world, not only the corporal needs, but more importantly, the spiritual needs. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, For he who sows to the flesh will, will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So how do we gain this hunger that transforms us and in, even into a different person? Such a hunger that helps us to focus our thoughts and our conduct and have that command in our life, that spiritual hunger uh, that leads to more eternal matters. In Psalm chapter 34, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Sometimes we don't realize how hungry we are until we begin to taste something. We say, oh, this is tasty, and then we realize how hungry we are, and we, we begin to eat more. And the same thing when we experience the life with Christ, um, and we experience Him more, the more, the more we hunger for Him. And we start hungering and, and thirsting for truth and justice and holiness and salvation and to learn more about the saints and to learn more about scripture. We hunger and more and more for that and to come to liturgies early. How then do we taste and see that the Lord is good so that our hunger and thirst for him may flourish even more? People who make the most of um, their progress in the spiritual life are not those who are often uh, been in the spiritual struggle for a long time or most devout or virtuous. Some of the people who advance quickly in the spiritual life are oftentimes the people who convert or the people who are repentant in their lives. And they strive quickly in spiritual advancement. Why is this the case? That they're honest with themselves. They know who they are 
And it's not our faults and sins that limit us from approaching God. God is able to, uh, able and willing to both, by many measures, cover our weaknesses and to help us overcome and rise above them. It's not our shortcomings, but sometimes our unwillingness to be honest with God and with ourselves, who is able to and willing, not just willing, but immensely desiring and hungering uh, to heal us. They also take concrete steps to be honest with God, like a repentant will take physical steps, right? Real steps to go uh, to walk with God's service. Uh, they'll get involved in service and prayer and spiritual fellowship with each other, partaking of the Eucharist. Reading often is a, is a quality of such people. Uh, scriptures, commentaries, things of that sort, spiritual writings. They forgive others. As a visible token of wanting to walk to, with God, they forgive those who are around them, uh, who have wronged them. And, of course, they, that leads to repentance. So hunger for these things opens the floodgates of grace, and, and you begin to experience God firsthand because he says uh, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. It's a promise for us. So let's, therefore, feed on Christ with our holiness and, and, and uh, also feed Christ with our holiness and our faith that works through love. When he comes to us hungry, let us have something for him to eat and not just turn him away hungry, imposing that kind of spiritual fast on him. Let us feed our spirit with the things that are holy, majestic, and eternal, things that last forever, things of true value, and not just our bodies with things that are open to corruption and are temporary. God is spirit, and those who worship God must worship him in spirit of truth. Let us also hunger and thirst for him who gives us all the good things, who knows what we need before we even ask him, because he's wonderful, to whom be glory forever. Amen.